There are many of you who are on the verge of a major breakthrough in your life. So many of you have been struggling. It's as though you're in a bubble and you're trying to make progress, but no matter which way you turn, you cannot seem to break through and go forward. But I want you to know that while you've been struggling and while you have continued to seek me, to press into me, you have been getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And the membrane of that bubble has not gotten weaker, but you are becoming stronger. And I want you to know that if you will continue pressing into me, you will become stronger than that membrane that's been holding you back and you are going to break through. You are going to have an experience with me that you've been longing for and it's going to happen. I did not die to give you victory that would stay wrapped up and not released. No, I died to give you the overcomer's victory in this world. And I say to you, continue to press into me. You are getting stronger and stronger and stronger in your spirit, no matter what you feel. You have been distracted at times by the things of family, the things of finances, the things of health, the things of this world, the reports, the negative reports that inundate your mind with negativity. But I say unto you, keep casting those things down. Keep pressing into me because you are becoming stronger and stronger and you are going to press through breakthrough and you are going to see victory you're going to go forward with me you will you will and I say to you remember this time because once you break through you are going to march directly into a wall a wall that wants to hold you back but keep pressing into me because I have declared in my word that the things of this world and the things of the enemy cannot stop you if you keep pressing into me. Just as you sang earlier that every high thing would come down and every stronghold would be broken, this is true for you. You keep pressing in and you will not be stopped. I will move through you and you will see great things happen. This is my declaration to you. This is my encouragement to you. Do not let yourself be distracted. Do not stop. Keep pressing in no matter what you feel because you are on the verge of a major breakthrough, says the Lord.
the name of this conference is Revival Now. We don't know exactly what each person is going to be ministering on. It will be several speakers this week. And I did not talk to anybody about, you know, well, what's, what's God given you? What are you going to preach on? Because I want to make sure I preach on something that makes me look good. If you're going to be preaching on something that makes you, we want to talk about the same thing. No, no. Uh, we totally depend on the leadership of the Holy Spirit as far as what we minister about. And, uh, you know, as I was praying about this message this morning, I have no idea how well this will or will not fit within what everybody else is going to, to minister. But talking about revival, what I've noticed is that over the last, oh, let's just say three, three plus years, there has been an increased talk about revival. Uh, preachers all over, you know, throughout the world, Christians and so forth, talking about revival. We're going to see revival. We're believing God for revival. And, well, we should. And that's not a wrong thing. In fact, there are some people out there, they maintain that revival is not going to happen. I remember one time after a service, there was a husband and wife attending. This has been a long time ago. I don't know how in the world this came up. I wasn't in that little group when they were talking. But the husband's voice seemed to increase in volume a little bit. And I heard this. And he was saying, yeah, people talking about an end-time revival. He said, it's not going to happen. There's nothing in Scripture about this. It's never going to take place. Well, that was the only service they ever attended, ever. And uh, I'm glad for it. Because... Revival is scriptural. People talk, well, the word revival is not in the Bible. No, that word's not. But the the event, the action is described. And it's referenced with other terms. And it's in both the Old and the New Testament, back on February 27th of 2022, I had a sermon entitled, Is Revival Scriptural? And I go through Old and New Testament and I show you where God is describing revival. So, yeah, it's, it is in the Bible. It's there. And even this morning, as um, you know, I was thinking about all of this, in fact, it was during praise and worship, the Lord shared this with me, how that, uh, you, you know how uh, we talk about revival. It's like, yeah, well, when's it going to be here? You know, we've been talking and believing and we've been praying and we confess. You know, when's it going to be here? And the Lord ministered to me this morning that the level of accountability for this outpouring and subsequent revival is higher than it's ever been since the book of Acts. It's higher. And that right now, um, well, one of the reasons it's higher is because slowly, if you will, we've been returning back to the standards of the apostles in the book of Acts. Doctrinally speaking, we've been returning back to that. And what's happened within the church, we had a prophecy several years ago here about um, a civil war within the church, within the body of Christ. And at the time, I didn't fully understand that, but I'm seeing it more clearly now, how that on the one side you have the people 
who are moving more in that direction of the original doctrine given by God through the Holy Spirit to the apostles for the New Testament church. You have those folks. But then on the other side, you have the compromisers. You have the itching ears. You have the people that want to redefine grace. You have the people that want to redefine holiness. They want to redefine God. And they're all in this church, the body of Christ. And so that's happening right now. But this level of accountability is increasing. And it's increasing greatly. And he said that right now what what's happening is, as far as we're concerned, the people that you could say are walking this path uh, into this outpouring and revival, he said that we are in an upper room of preparation. We're in an upper room of preparation. And you might think, well, my goodness, how long will we have to be in this upper room? Until, until the outpouring. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. We're in the upper room of preparation. That's what's happening now. And when you go back to Acts chapter 2, well, actually, you know, before that, but when Jesus said, you know, tarry ye in Jerusalem, he didn't say tarry for ten days. He said, tarry ye in Jerusalem until the outpouring, if you will. That's what they did. So you had about 120 people tarrying in Jerusalem, waiting. And they didn't know the fullness of what they were waiting for. They did not know exactly how all this is going to happen. I mean, Jesus said, you receive power and so forth, but how's it going to happen? Well, how's it going to manifest? What well, they, they did not know for sure. All they knew was, tarry until. That's what we're doing right now. We are in an upper room of preparation, getting ready for this outpouring. Now, one of the reasons that it may seem like it's taking longer has to do with that higher level of accountability. You know, when you take a look at, um, do any kind of a study on what you might call revivals over the last, you know, 300, 500, whatever years, and what you're going to find is that really in every single one of them, there was uh, what you might call incomplete doctrine. Now, they had moves, and they had demonstrations of power. And they had the ye must be born again gospel preached. But there was an incomplete doctrine. It was partial. And because of the incompleteness, you ended up with a lot of problems. And, uh, well, those revivals ended. That is not what God is after here. We, we are not after an outpouring and a revival that includes incomplete doctrine. No, we want an outpouring and a revival that is birthed out of a completeness of doctrine. An accuracy of doctrine. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, years ago we were hearing this term, revival of truth, revival of truth. And it became kind of a catchphrase. Well, that's what's been happening. And by the way, that's not going to end. That revival is not going to end. We are going to increase in our knowledge of the Word of God, those of us that are really you know, pressing in and seeking for this. And I want you to turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 11. Because one of the things that is so critical for us to do 
is to continue this declaration of revival. To continue speaking the outpouring. And not get weary in the well-doing of such. Because, you know, the question can come up, how many more times do we have to have a prayer meeting for an outpouring and revival? How many more times do we have to go through these confessions? How many times do we have to, you know, be driving down the road? I say that uh, this region's called the Miami Valley. I say the Miami Valley's in revival. And wherever you live, whatever your region is, you know, I say, you know, that we're in revival. How many more times do we have to do this until we see it? (laughs) That's just the way it is. You See, when you're doing what God says to do, you cannot be doing wrong. That's just the way it is. So we continue to declare. We continue to confess. And the, the, the question can come up, yeah, but are we really accomplishing anything with all of this? Because when we look around, where is it? Are we really making an impact? Well... Here, uh, within the last couple of weeks, God directed me to something in Scripture. And it was one of those, how how can I put this? Um, Sometimes, it's almost like God is saying, all right, look, I'm going to show you something. And then after you, you see it, it's almost as though he's saying, now what do you think? Like, oh, okay, yeah, I want you to look at this. Genesis chapter 11. And the whole earth, verse 1, the whole earth was of one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they for mortar. The slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. You see that? What was God's concern? That their unity of confession was going to produce that which was opposed to the standards of God. And God said, to paraphrase all this, we keep reading it, God confounded their language. And, you know, they wake up one morning and everybody's speaking a different language. See, that's how God stopped it. He got involved and confounded or confused their languages, and then these people were no longer speaking in unity about their goal to build a tower that was a paganistic type of structure to where they weren't going to worship God. They were going to worship whatever they wanted to worship. And it goes back to the astrology and so on and so forth. And as God was showing this to me, (laughs) it was as though He was saying, if they could do that in their lost condition, how important... Do you think it is for my children around the world, spirit-filled or not spirit-filled, 
to open their mouths and declare outpouring. Open their mouths and declare revival. Continue to speak in this unity because if nothing could be restrained to the lost who are in unity in their confession, what do you think is going to happen when my children in this world unite in declaring revival in the world? Yeah, our confession is working. And here's what's interesting. When these people were doing this, what they said was, let's build a tower. They didn't say, let's, let's accomplish anything we want. They did not realize how powerful their unity and declaration really was. They had no idea. Okay, we go through the Bible and we begin to see how powerful and critical what we speak really is in our lives. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I don't want to speak death to revival. I want to speak life to an outpouring. I want to speak life to revival. And so I'm going to continue to speak it. This is why it's so important for us to do this no matter what we see happening in our communities. No matter what we see happening in our church. You know, I walked in here in this building as the pastor, uh, February 21st, 1999. I thought by now we'd be long gone from this building. I thought we'd be in a much larger structure, so on and so forth. Well, as you can see, it didn't happen. So I could become very discouraged if I wanted to. And trust me, discouragement has knocked on my door more than once over the years. However, I refuse to let it take me prisoner. And regardless of what I see, I know what God wants. And so therefore, I will speak in line with what God wants. And I will declare, we are having an outpouring. We are having revival. And that's why I need all of you to join with me in this. Wherever you live, join with me in this. Because from God's perspective, think of it like this. We're one big happy family, the family of God all over this world. And from His perspective, we're all together. Even though we might live 12,000 miles apart from each other, from His perspective, we're all together. This is why it's so important for no matter where we live, to begin to continue speaking, outpouring, revival, outpouring, revival. Continue with the confessions. Continue with the prayers. We are having an impact. That impact is having is happening in the realm of the Spirit. But guys, listen, there's going to be a manifestation. It may not be exactly the way I think or you think, but it's going to happen. Scriptures reveal this. It's going to happen. We cannot become weary in the well-doing. But along with that, it's not simply a matter of the continuation of that confession. There's more that we need to do. For example, uh, you know, I, I talk a lot about what I call the four pillars of spiritual growth, four pil- pillars of spiritual maturity. Prayer, primarily praying in the Spirit. Uh, fasting. Worship. Worship, you know, private, uh, congregational worship. Uh, worship in the Spirit, worship, you know, sing in the Spirit, sing with the understanding. Prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word. The reading, meditating, confessing of the Word, so on and so forth. Those four things impact a person specifically in the realm of their spirit. That's why I call them the four pillars of spiritual growth. Now, those four, prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word, what they do is they they work to subdue the flesh and condition our spirit to receive this outpouring which produces the revival. 
This is why we're in that upper room of preparation. We are conditioning. We're, we're mortifying the flesh. We're bringing it into subjection. We're, we're taking control over those things in our lives that need to be taken control over. We're winning more and more victories over the flesh, but at the same time, our spirit is becoming conditioned to receive the kind of outpouring that God wants to deliver to all of us. He's not holding back. He's willing to move on anybody with this. The thing is, we have to do our part in conditioning our spirit to be ready for this. Listen to Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And what's interesting is that word perfect um, comes from the Hebrew word, I think it's um, shalim, something like that. Anyway, part of its meaning is to be fully prepared. So God is, his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now that, this is a prophetic word. I know it applied back when it was given, but it's prophetic for now. Look, if his eyes were roaming back then, guess what? His eyes are still roaming. (laughs) He's still looking. And his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect or prepared for him to move with that strength through them, in them and through them. So God is looking all over this planet for people that he can use in this way. And it says here, to show himself strong in the behalf of them. Them who? Us. We are the them. He's not waiting for somebody to figure out if they're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. He's waiting for people to have that readiness of heart, that preparedness, that, that inner, I can handle this now. I, I remember one time um, I was ministering over in Kenya. And uh, I had taken with me a wireless microphone that I could, you know, clip, lapel mic, because, you know, I like that better than holding a hand mic. And so I'm there with these guys the day before this conference was supposed to start. And I said, okay, now here's my equipment. And they start getting ready to plug it in. And I said, well, now hold on. Wait, wait, no, hold on just a second. Hold on. They were, they were so caught up in trying to get everything connected correctly that they, you know, tuned me out. And so what happened is they plugged it in and look at me. And it's, what happened was, see over there, they're running at like 240, the electric. Well, here we're like, what, 110? Okay. So in other words, what they did, was supply far too much power than what the microphone could handle. And they completely fried it. I mean, they destroyed it. They're, you can't repair it. Okay? It has to be replaced. And, uh, I mean, what do you say? You know, there, people are trying to help. And I just shook my head and said, oh, don't worry about it, guys. Forget it. You know, just forget it. And we still had a great time. Although, I didn't like the fact the microphone was ruined. All right, you see, all right now... Using that as an example, if we're still running at 110, God's not going to pour out 240 into our spirit until our spirit is conditioned to handle 240. You understand that illustration? We're in that place of preparation now. And you think, well, how much more prepared do I have to be? I don't know. I just know this. We just 
keep preparing. I don't want to simply be prepared for 240. I want to be prepared for 480. <laughs> I want to be prepared for 960. I want to be prepared for nuclear. I want to be prepared for whatever. The continual conditioning on the inside. Look over in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3. See, confession alone for the outpouring and revival without the spiritual transformation needed to be the vessels of glory, it will not produce the same results that we're seeking. It flat out won't. We have to be at that place of, um, of spiritual conditioning because of the accountability that is so much higher for what God is wanting to do right now. And it's not that there's never been a level of accountability. It's just, guys, we need to understand... <laughs> All you have to do is look at one newspaper to realize Jesus is coming back really soon. And so because we've had this increase of a return to that doctrine of the apostles, and that truth is at work in this world more now than what it has been since that time back in the book of Acts, that accountability is there. To whom much is given, much is required. All right, much is required of us, guys. And so, therefore, we're working on this. Well, look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 18 it says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now notice this. Essentially, it's like we're standing in front of a mirror, and the reflection in that mirror is Jesus. And he says that we're changed into that same image from glory to glory. Well, this represents a growing and a maturing process. We're all at one level of glory right now. Well, we continue to press in, and there's another level, and then the next level of glory. But now notice this, but we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. This change that he's talking about here only takes place if you are standing in front of the glass. That's it. And that represents intimacy. That represents, you know, the prayer, the, the worship, all these things. It represents us taking the time to get in front of that glass, that reflection, and staying there and experiencing this change from glory to glory. You know, every single one of us in this room, I'm guessing that before we left the house or the, the, the apartment or the hotel or wherever we're staying, I'm guessing every single one of us at least one time we looked in a mirror to be sure that we looked just right. I know Pastor Bronk did. <laughs> to be sure that we looked just right before leaving. Because we want to look our best, right? Okay. Here God is saying, yeah, I want you to look your best, but I really want you to look like my son. I want you to be changed into His image so that when the world sees you, they see Christ. And the only way that this is going to happen is if we are there in front of that glass. It, it doesn't happen unless we are there. Unless we are at that glass, at that image, in His presence. It doesn't happen. And what, what I have uh, observed is that it seems as though, and, and I don't know if anybody else has this impression, but this is mine, just by observation. It seems as though that a lot of 
Christians have this idea that all I have to do is go around and confess revival, confess outpouring, and glory to God, it's coming. And, and it's going to hit me and, and flow through me. In other words, all they have to do is confess it and declare it and never get in front of the glass. And then it's all going to happen. No. Don't misunderstand. We need that confession. But to be the, the call it a vessel of revival? Okay, we've got to be in front of that glass. We've got to be ready for this. We can't neglect it. It doesn't just happen. It isn't a sovereign move. Oh, I've heard this. Oh, it irritates me. You know, well, when God wants me to have power, He'll move sovereignly. He did. The, the Holy Ghost was given 2,000 years ago. Tap into it. I mean, it's there. It's a matter of us changing into, maturing into, moving forward into that place of reflecting that image of Christ. Trust me. God wants this for us so that He can move as freely through us as He did through Jesus. We're supposed to be like that. You know, it's more important to uh, to know Christ, I mean, to know Him, to really know Him than it is to flow in power. Far more important. Presence is more crucial than power because presence will produce power. And what you find throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, what you find is that when God's presence showed up, something happened. Old Testament and New. When God's presence showed up, something happened. Um, look, at, you're in Second uh, Corinthians, look in chapter 2. And look what Paul wrote, Second or um I said 2 Corinthians, didn't I? I'm sorry. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just take a look here in one verse. Paul said, verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was his focus. And if you go over to Philippians chapter 3, you'll see more of this. In Philippians chapter 3, in, beginning in verse 8, Paul said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. It's interesting how he doesn't say, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost as Christ had it. No, he says, I want to know him. And then he continues in verse 9 and says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. You say, what's he talking about? Well, he's not talking about being conformed to, to being crucified. 
What he's talking about here is I that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What is the power of his resurrection? His resurrection life is the power of the life that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. And he says, I want to know the fullness of the power of the life of God on the inside of me. I want to know what that is. He's not even talking about raising the dead and opening the blind eyes. He says, I just want to know what it is that I've received from God the moment I got born again. I want to know the power of that resurrection life that is alive on the inside of me. This is what I want to know. This is what I'm after. And when he talks about um, the fellowship of his sufferings, what he's talking about is the mortification of the flesh. Jesus was tempted like as we are, in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Why is that? Because He mortified the flesh to the fullest and never gave in to any temptation of any kind, and He never sinned. And Paul is saying, I want to know what it's like to mortify my flesh to that level so that I am as mortified as Jesus Christ was in this world and be used by God the same way God used Jesus in this world. This is what he's talking about. Being made conformable unto his death. Dead to the world. Dead to the flesh. Dead to the things of this world. So that it is nothing but Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what, this is what Paul is describing here. And then he goes on and he says, you know, I haven't attained to that level just yet. But he says, I keep pressing toward the mark. I keep pressing toward the mark. I keep pressing toward the mark. I keep mortifying what needs to be mortified. I keep dealing with what needs to be dealt with. And he says, you know, I forget those things which are behind, and I keep moving forward. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, what is that? Well, it's it's not the calling of apostle, prophet, evangelist, etc., and so forth. No, do you know what the high calling of God in Christ Jesus is? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It is to be in the fullness of a child of God. That's the high calling. Because, you see, we don't need signs, wonders, miracles, and demonstrations of power in eternity. What we need is the great understanding of my father, my elder brother, Jesus, and this is who I am. That's what we need. Because, see, the more that we understand all of that, is the more that we become those vessels fit for to be the the containers of the glory of God for the outpouring and the revival. Now, he also says in here, in uh, verse 15, he says, Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, or as many of you that want have the same goal, as many of you who are after the same thing, you need to be thus minded. What minded? What we just read. What he declared. We have to have that same mindset. And he says, And... If in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. <laughs> this is a dangerous thing to pray. Because if you go to God and you say, Okay, God, yeah, I want to be what Paul is writing about. But if I am, as it says in your word, otherwise minded, please reveal that to me. And then God in his grace may say, Are you sure you want me to show this to you? Yes, I want you to show it to me. All right, he'll show you. Whatever it is that needs to be removed, he'll show you. Whatever it is that needs to be mortified, he'll show you. Quite frankly, I think some of us might not be ready for the fullness of those battles. Because there are some things of the world, some things of the flesh that aren't sin, but yet we hold on to them so much because we don't think they really matter. 
We don't think it's that much of a big deal. But he says here, nevertheless, verse 16, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. In other words, he's saying, whatever it was that got you to this point, keep doing it. Keep doing it. You know, the, the prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word. Whatever got you to this point of glory, keep doing it, because it will continue to work in you to develop everything in you that needs to be developed on a spiritual level. Then he says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. In other words, all of us, whoever we are, those of us who are doing this as examples to you, he said, you follow us, because we're not going to lead you astray. What's happened here in this church, what's happened at the, the prayer center in Tulsa, what's happened down at Pastor Bronx Church, there are people, they want to follow a different drummer. They want to march to a different beat. They want to go to a different trumpet sound, whatever it is. They don't want to continue in this walk. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that's left these churches has deviated away. But some have. I'm not saying they've turned their backs on Jesus. But what I'm saying is, in their minds, they've decided there's another way or a better way to press into this outpouring and this revival. Show me in Scripture. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm serious. Show me in Scripture what works better than prayer and fasting and worship and the Word. Those things produce a waiting on God and a co-laboring with the Holy Spirit. But what else works? It has to be something that has a direct impact on our, on our spirit. But there's more. And it's not just a matter of the prayer and the fasting and the worship and the Word for us to become uh, spiritually conditioned and ready for that outpouring. There's more that's needed for this. Look over in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. You're here today, and and those of you watching this, because you need to hear this. I need to hear it. We need. There are people that should be here that aren't here. You know, years ago I used to hear people say things like, well... The ones that God wanted there were all there. I don't believe that's false doctrine. I, that absolutely is false doctrine. I mean, think about this. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. And only about 120 were in the upper room. Where was everybody else? They could have been there. Where were they? Who knows? So, yeah, you know what? There are people that aren't here who should be here. But for whatever the reason, they're not. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them. Now this is after his resurrection. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now turn over to Second Timothy. Keeping that in mind, Turn over to 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now back up to 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
It's not simply a matter of us continuing to confess and declare outpouring and revival. And it's not just a matter of the prayer and the fasting, the worship and the word, so that our spirits become the the vessels and the containers conditioned for this outpouring. We have to be ready to disciple the ones that come in. And far too much of that, that, that type of preparation, far too much of that's not going on. Um, there must be the studying to show yourself approved unto God. There must be. And if you'll notice here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses, well, look at verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Notice it says faithful and able. See that? Faithful and able. It does not say those who have the ministry calling of teacher. It says faithful and able. Faith, that's, God's eyes are roaming to and fro to find these faithful and able people that He can use to disciple the ones who come to know Jesus Christ. So, you know what's interesting? As I'm standing here, the Lord's really impressing upon me that there are, I don't know how many, hearing this, and you never thought of it like this before. Something's hitting you differently. Good. Because this is what we need. Look, too many people are, are riding the coattails of the pastor. And they are not studying for themselves. Okay. Part of the reason for that is because some of you have a pathetic self-image and you've got to get over it. You, you look at the people behind the pulpit and think, I could never. Well, you know, maybe you're not called to stand behind a pulpit. But at some point in time, you are called, this is God's plan. This is God's revival plan. You are supposed to be faithful and able and ready to teach others also. That, that's you. That, every one of you in here. There are no exceptions. Every single one of you. And you have to get past this, well, yeah, but I... No, no. You know, throw those out the window. No, this is you. Every single one of you. And too many Christians take this lightly. You say, well, yeah, but Brother Martin, that's easy for you to say, because, you know, you're pastoring. You've been pastoring for a long time. You're a teacher. Well, I... I was preparing before I ever stood behind a pulpit. Guys, look. I didn't just wake up one morning and say... I shall be a pastor. No, I didn't want a pastor. I even told God I didn't want a pastor. Well, you see how well that went. (laughs) See, you don't have to have the calling of a teacher to disciple others and to train others in the Word of God. Look in in Acts chapter 2. Now, Pastor Bronk, I may need your help protecting me after this. So don't you run out of here. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, 
Be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. How many of you figured out that when he's talking about, you know, like, Daughters and handmaidens, he's talking about females. You understand? No, I mean literal females. (laughs) Do you understand he's talking about females? Glory to God. Alright, I'll say this. Some of you women ought to be ashamed of yourselves because you aren't doing squat to get ready to disciple others. You sit and you listen to the man. And then a lot of women bellyache because ain't nobody wants to hear what a woman has to say. Well, you're going to find out differently this week. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but what I'm trying to do, okay, 40 years of my observations and what I've seen is this. Men generally make a more diligent effort to press into God when it comes to discipling and teaching others than women do. Well, it's not me, Brother Martin, right? No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about all the other women. (laughs) Now, I'm serious about this. I'm very serious about this. There are too many women. I don't know, man, this is a weird mindset. But there are too many women. It's almost like you have this idea that you're second class and or that God really won't use you the way he uses a man. And what I find interesting is that over the years, I've observed how that, um, I'm going to mention a name, and whether you like this person's ministry or not, I mean, that's totally up to you. I'm just using this person as an example, okay? A lot of women have looked at Joyce Meyer as being their hero. And yet, they, they don't do anything to develop what God wants them to do. And they just want to sit back and enjoy Joyce Meyer or Gloria Copeland or any other women that you like. You know, many of you know, remember uh, Elaine Homer. Same kind of a thing. Look, guys, Elaine, I know Elaine Homer. I've known, I knew her for years. She didn't sit back and let men tell her what she could and couldn't do. She pressed into God. That's what, and then God used her. Listen, all you women in this room, I'm serious now. You need to know God wants to use you. There are women in this room right now, and I don't have to ask, you know, show me your hands. There are women in this, you've had bad experiences with men. Some of you, this may be your second or third or, or more marriage. You've been abused by men somewhere along the line. They've lied to you. They raped you. They beat you. They molested you. Blah, blah, blah. you got a bad image of men, okay? I'm assuming most of you in here, all of you in here, have gotten over that. But you and I both know there are ladies out there in the body of Christ who are still struggling with those things. You know what they need? They need a woman who's strong in the Lord, who maybe doesn't stand behind the pulpit, ever. But they need a woman strong in the Lord who can nourish them and deposit the Word of God into them and teach them not all men are jerks. 
There are pastors you can trust. There are men of God that you can trust. And help them get past that. There are women who need you. There are teenage girls who need you. They need to hear the Word of God coming out of your mouth. They need to hear you speaking truth. They need to hear it from you. And and there are too many women, again, my experience is too many women to just sit back. And they're not pressing in. In all my years of ministry, I've had more men come to me about ministry than women. Well, I understand sometimes, you know, a woman doesn't want to talk alone with a man, and I won't do that. However, I find it really interesting that so few women have ever come to me to talk about what God's called them to do, or doing more for God. It's generally the men that do this. Ladies, you've got to get over this. Now, I'm not inviting you all to come charging at me after the service. (laughs) You said, you said. No, what I'm saying is this. You've got to get a hold of how God sees you. You need to come to this place of understanding you're one of the daughters. You're one of the handmaidens that He's talking about here in this passage. You have an ability to stand up and deliver the Word of God and teach the Word of God. Even if it's never in a, in a pulpit setting, but in a prayer group setting, or in a Bible study setting, or in a Sunday school class setting, or whatever. That's you, ladies. That's you. We need you. We need you to step up and do this and develop into it. I am personally encouraging you to do that. Because you're needed. You're not second class. I've heard comments about, well, how come, you know, more women aren't being used and so on and so forth. And, and, um, there was one lady that I know, I won't mention who, but she heard this. She was kind of involved in this conversation. She heard this. And, you know, other women were, you know, why why aren't more women being used? And, you know, how come women this? And this other lady, she just looked and said, where are they? Where are they? Where are the women who are pressing in to be used by God the way you see the men being used? Where are they? See, it isn't that God doesn't want to use you. And I hear the stories about, well, you know, he, you know, Ruth and, and Deborah and so forth. Praise God for Ruth and Deborah. They were not a handmaiden, and they were not a daughter. Do you understand? Joel, God through Joel, prophesied this thousands of years ago. That God's intention is to use you women, listen to me, right alongside with the men. You hear this? The reason, it may sound like I'm being kind of strong about this, It's because if we are going to be those vessels, and if we're going to be used by God in this outpouring, it can't just be the men. It's got to be the women too. Your sons and your daughters. An equal declaration. And some people, I I know, listen, I was raised in a Baptist church, women have no business teaching men. Well, I got over that. In fact, if you've got questions about it, I wrote a paper, Women in Ministry, and you can get a copy of it right outside the sanctuary doors. There's a rack. It says, Topical Papers. Grab one. Or if you are watching and you want one, just send me an email. We'll send it to you. No charge. God will use women. Listen, women aren't supposed to keep silent in the church. That's a lie of the devil. Unless I'm preaching. (laughs) 
<laughs> Glory. <laughs> now, what I did when it came to me developing the call of God upon my life that resulted in me doing this, what I'm doing now, I'm going to tell you what I did. Now, this works for anybody. It's not some secret formula. It works for anybody if you do this. Here's what I would do. And this goes back to cassette tapes now. But I would listen to a sermon. And as I'm listening, I would follow along in Scripture. I would take notes. And I would pray softly in tongues the whole time. I still do that. To this day, I still do that. And I can't tell you how many times God, I'm listening to the sermon and then God begins giving me things and I'm typing all this out and so on and so forth. And I'm telling you right now, if you'll do that, there's going to be a change take place in your life, man or woman. There's going to be a change take place. And a lot of the notes that you take will become the teachings that you deliver. Well, yeah, but I don't want to repeat somebody else's sermon. My question to you is, is it truth? Well, yeah, it's truth. Then teach it. Hey, there's nobody in this conference, there's nobody, if, if you're teaching truth, you're teaching something that's already been taught. <laughs> so we're plagiarizing everybody in the Bible, is what it comes down to. <laughs> now one more thing in closing. Years ago, I used to, uh, one of my confessions was something along the lines of this. This wasn't exactly it, but it's, Really close. God, I thank you that every week we have 200 people coming into this church, getting born again, filled the Holy Ghost, etc. and so forth. God, I thank you every every week, 200 more people, 200 more people. And then uh, the Lord kind of dealt with me about that and said, you're not ready for this. You're not ready for it. You're flat out not ready. I mean, logistically, you're not ready. 200 people next week, that takes us up to, you know, 400. The week after that, 600. The week after that, 8. I mean, do the math, all right? So we're not ready for this. So I changed my confession. And now the way I confess it is this. God, I thank you that every week new people are coming in. That could be two. You know what I'm saying? Just new people. I thank you that new people are coming in. And one of the reasons that, why isn't our church growing? Okay. This church is not your average, typical, we love the Holy Ghost church. You know what I'm saying? It's just not. And all you have to do is start asking people that go to other churches, you know, what's your church teach about this? What does your church teach about that? Who knows what you're going to hear? But remember, I was talking about how that we have to be those vessels ready and that we have to be at that place of discipling, both men and women. Okay, if we don't have the people in the room ready to do all this teaching and discipling, why in the world should we expect this mass of humans to come parading in? If we're not ready. We have to be ready for this. Well, you're the pastor. Oh, I get it. You want to run me into the ground. No, no. This is a plurality, meaning we all have a, have a role to play in this. But not only that, logistically, look at this room. 
Let's, let's bring 200 more people in on top of what we have in here right now. Let's bring 200 more people in tonight. You think you're going to find a seat? If they beat you here, you, <laughs> this place is going to be packed. You know, I was sharing some things along this line down at Pastor Bronx Church this past February, but I want you to listen to this. In 2 Kings chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 1, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight or too small for us. If we're believing for an outpouring and revival, we have to capture the vision of people coming in. And along with that, we have to realize the place where we're dwelling is too small. It's too small. We need to be ready. You, you know what? When your parents, and let's say you've got two kids, then you find out that mama's pregnant with three more. Okay, now is the time to get rid of your Mini Cooper and go out and buy a nice size, you know, SUV. You understand what I'm saying? You don't wait till the kids are born to buy a vehicle. <laughs> and you sure can't use your pickup truck, you know, throw them in the back end. <laughs> no. You, you, need, you need the big, bigger vehicle now in preparation for what? The birth. You need that. We need a bigger vehicle now. And I'm guessing most of you, what church you go to, most of you need a bigger vehicle. You say, well, yeah, but our sanctuary will hold 500 people. How many classrooms do you have? How many classrooms do you have? Are you ready to teach these people? Because it goes beyond just Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever. Are you ready for this? And listen to this. This is, I mean, this is a prophecy, it, it was relative to when it was spoken way back, but it is absolutely a, a prophetic message for revival today. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 2 through 3. Listen to this. This is an instruction from God. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. Now listen to this. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. In other words, God is saying, build it now because they are on the way. You are going to break forth on the right and the left. They're coming in from the north, south, east, west. They're coming in. God is telling us they're coming in. And this is a part of us being prepared for the outpouring and revival. We need a facility now. I mean, wherever you are, we need it now to be able to follow up with everything that's going on with the outpouring and revival to disciple these people. We need it now. And one of the worst things you can do is walk in and say, well, you know what? You know, I mean, we're not packed out yet. When we're packed out, that's when we'll think about it. Too late. Too late. You need to be ready. When parents, I mean, we, you know, those of you that, that, um, you know, parents, when, when mama was pregnant, you knew the baby was coming, did you not prepare the baby's room ahead of time? Did you not, if it was, you know, if you knew it was a boy or knew it was a girl, didn't you have, you know, a, a bassinet and the, the crib and, you know, blue stuff? And if it was a girl, you had pink stuff, or if you didn't know, you had yellow stuff. So, <laughs> anyway, you had the room ready. 
And you know, those little chimey, spinny things that you hang over the crib to hypnotize the kid. And, and you know, all the, the chewy things and the sippy things and all the diapers, the wipes, all that. You were ready. The room was ready. And then when the birth took place, what did you do? You took that baby and you, you took it into the room that was prepared. And you nurtured that child. And you ministered to that child. And you loved that child. And you made sure everything was right for that baby. And you felt good because you knew it was ready and that the baby was comfortable and happy. You felt good because you had done that. Guys, it's the same principle. In this outpouring and revival, spiritual babes are going to be born. And we have to be ready for them. So it's not just a matter of our confession and our declaration of revival. We absolutely have to keep doing that. But we have to also be involved with the prayer, the fasting, the worship, and the Word to condition our spirits to be ready to be containers of the outpouring and that flow of anointing and power. And we also need to get into the Word and be prepared to disciple the ones that come in and... We need to be praying, confessing, declaring, thank you, God, for the facility we need to house those that are coming in. One of my uh, prayer confessions, I mean, almost every day, is I thank God for our new facility. And I also thank God that the prayer centers of Tulsa and Immokalee have their new facilities. Almost every day I'm confessing that. Almost every single day. I can't remember. Well, I hardly ever miss a day on that. Hardly ever. Because we're all a part of the same march. We're all a part of the same team. We're all headed in the same direction. Guys, this is all a part of revival readiness. Being prepared for what God is in the process of doing now. And I thank God that we are here together for this week, and I thank God that He wants to use every single one of us. Praise the Lord. Please stand. One of the things that um, the Lord showed me, I had forgotten about it, and I told Him if He reminded me, I would pass it along to you. And He reminded me just now. I'm in bed this morning. It was, I don't know, maybe about 5 o'clock. I woke up. And um, thinking about all this, The pressing in, the spiritual development, the whole idea of uh, becoming those containers that can hold that anointing and that outpouring. And as I was looking at this, or as I was thinking about this, I had this like a, a flash vision, not one of these visions that lasts for a long time. How many of you have ever been in a car or watched a car that's going through a car wash. And and as the car is going in, you know, here are these sprays of water that are coming down. And as the car is is going through that car wash, then the sprays of water, you know, they hit it and, and they're blasting, you know, the, the dirt and everything off the car as the car is going through. But what I saw was a person, just the image of a, of a person. And they were going, it was like they were on a, a conveyor belt, like just standing there, and they're going through, and there's all you know, that spray is coming down. 
And as they were going through, it was washing off all this, you know, like the dirt and his stuff. And what God, what he was sharing with me was, that's not the stuff of the flesh. He said, what that represents is sickness and affliction that is going to be washed out of people's bodies by this spiritual development that takes place on the inside because the life of His nature in us is healing power. And He said, as they are pressing into Me and that that life is rising up and they're becoming that, that container, that vessel is maturing and so forth, He said, their sickness and affliction is going to be washed right out of their bodies. And it's not going to require decades of confession. It's going to happen.